This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, steeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to HRT. I'm your host, Bethany Adams. I love HRT, but truth be told, I am a coffee drinker. All right, on this episode of HRT, we will kick off a three-part mini-series on diversity and inclusion. And on each part of the series, I will sit down with a researcher and professor from Villanova, each whose work is focused on diversity and inclusion initiatives in organizations. My first interview was with Quinetta Robertson. Quinetta is an endowed chair in business leadership and a professor of management in the Villanova School of Business. And while she is a rock star in the academic world today, she didn't start her career knowing that she wanted to be in academia. And I'll let her share that journey with you. So my bachelor's and my MBA are in finance. And I wanted to be I wanted to be an investment banker. I studied investments in capital markets. And then I decided, eh, I don't necessarily know if I want the lifestyle. So I went into commercial banking. But I was in the large corporate space, did loan syndications of $50 million or so, and was having a, a decent time, a good time. You know, it was fairly interesting work. But my company decided... They announced that they were going to go through a right-sizing for like a six-month period. And at that same time, I don't know if I should say this, I was a little bit bored at work. I think we all have those moments. Okay. I was a little bit bored, and I came across an announcement that this professional organization was having a paper competition. So I decided to enter it. And I found myself getting to work at 7 a.m. so I could finish work by noon so I could spend the afternoon at the library find the things that you're passionate in, right? Exactly. But after the paper competition, which is about three months, there were two things that happened. One, I won the competition. And two, thank you. I was very disappointed that I didn't have a reason to go to the library anymore. And so that got me thinking about maybe this was the time to apply to grad school. And the company was looking for volunteers to leave because for this rightsizing. So I applied to doctoral programs and I was accepted and so I took the money and ran so just you know that's a long story to get to a very short answer that I did some reflection on what am I love and when am I my best and the answer of both of those were school so I thought how can I be in school for the rest of my life and here you are and here I am (laughs) (laughs) well we're glad that you are because you're doing amazing research now in the field of diversity and I actually went back and listened to um, I know that VSB has their own podcast that they do for the undergraduate mm-hmm. students. And you were interviewed for that, um, what, a year or so ago? About a year ago. And in that, you talked about one of your papers, and it actually kind of paired your two worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it essentially took a look at the links between diversity and firm performance. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought was interesting from the podcast was that they talked about the finding that there was a decrease in performance at higher levels of leader racial diversity. Mm -hmm. 
And I think I, you know, I was taken a little aback, as I think most people will be, because we think that, okay, we need to increase diversity. This needs to be a push in our organizations to increase innovation, Mm -hmm. to increase performance. So how do we interpret that finding that performance decreased Mm -hmm. when there was this increase in racial diversity? So for that for that study, I have to give a little bit of context. Please do. I um, taught a diversity class at Cornell, and I would always have guest speakers come in. And I was willing to bet money that in their first five slides, they would mention how many of a certain group they had in the organization, and, and particularly in leadership. So, you know, how many women or how many people of color? And so I just started thinking, so what? Right. Like if you do, why does it matter? And so I decided to do this study of the Fortune 500. Interestingly, I sent a survey asking the Fortune 500, each of the companies, what diversity practices they had. And I'm going to say I got back about 100. That's great. Then I sent them one asking about financial performance and I got back 17. They're like, we don't want to tell you that. Exactly. Because I now know how you're going to link these. And that's we don't want to know yes. the answer to that question. There's some vulnerability there. Yeah. And, but I got a lot of notes saying, hey, this is really fascinating. Let us know what you came up with. <laughs> right? Please don't use our data. Yeah. But, but please uh, tell us what you c- find. If, once you do the work. So I, we went and actually compiled a number of archival databases, did some qualitative coding, et cetera, to see if there was actually a link to what people were telling me, right? That we've got this diversity in leadership and it does increase firm performance, but we wanted to show evidence of that. So what we found was, as you described, this U-shaped relationship that with increasing diversity, firm performance went down, but there was a tipping point where you saw, we saw performance start to uptick. And when I looked at that, it actually made complete sense to me because I call it the we got one phenomenon. Uh, so, you know. We're done. <laughs> They're in. Well, now we're done. Exactly. We've achieved what we needed yeah. to do. And so it's, I think what's happening there is diversity for the sake of diversity. So getting the representation, getting the person that they can now say to the news outlets, We've got a COO who is a person of color. We have a board member. But if we, we weren't able to do this in the study, but I think if we looked at the processes of the board and what they were actually doing, their decision-making and problem-solving, what we would find is a tokenism phenomenon. That person's unique perspective and expertise and resources weren't being used. They were just there, you know, warming a seat at the board table. And so what we speculate is that at that tipping point, which is about 22, 23%, the perspectives start, there's a critical mass, and you start integrating all of those unique resources into the work of the board or the leadership team, et cetera. And we can draw on research from groups and teams that shows that's what happens. Right. So interesting. So in that same podcast, you, there was a good question about undergrads taking a class in diversity. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend all of them to do this? Mm -hmm. And your answer was yes, but... And I was like, wait, yes, but what's the but? (laughs) Of course they should. That's what we don't say. Yeah. But I think it probably links back to the same thing that you're talking about, right? What is the guts of that class? What is, how are you going to use it? So I'm curious, please expand on the what is the but. Yeah. And then also, 
how does that link into actual organizations, right? Not just a class in diversity, but a training in diversity. Should we all have them in mm-hmm. our organizations? Is there a yes, but yeah. there? Yes, but. Um, <laughs> I, so I think part of why people are drawn to my diversity work is because I'm willing to tell the dark side mm-hmm. and everything's not all puppies and rainbows. Right. And so what there are different types of diversity education, right? And the most prevalent is sensitivity and awareness training. And so that's, you know, letting people know that there is this thing called diversity. As if we shouldn't, as if we don't know. Or how we should treat everyone with respect and dignity. And those things we should have learned. All of the things that I saw, I read, there's like a book about, you know, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten, but it's like playing well with others, right? right? But what happens at, in, in some of these trainings is that they're designed to give this information that we already know, and it's very, it's a kumbaya moment, right? And making everyone feel warm and fuzzy. Or there's these other trainings that are sensitivity and awareness, but it like, it almost like hazes you. It's like, you know, everybody think of a time when you were excluded and how you felt, and it's like therapy, right? Right. But it doesn't get into the meat of education, right? It's to learn, and it's to also have a space in order where we can practice skills and behaviors and just start to gain a level of comfort with our own competencies for interacting with others. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, yes, we should have diversity classes for students and yes we should have diversity training in organizations but it needs to be designed in a meaningful way where people can take something away and use it in their other classes or use it when they leave the university and go into the work world or if they're already in the work world use it on the job and so we need to give people the the skills in order to be able to be more effective in teams and also in their jobs overall right and to your point earlier about you know the the token person sitting on a in a boardroom right it has to also be in the action of the leaders and the people in the organization so if they're not doing it but I'm going to a training on it right really Yeah. yeah and and also I mean really we're a pretty politically correct society on average. Yeah, on absolutely. Average. And, and I mean that saying not that everyone is politically correct on average, but we know what to say and what not to say. Right. And there's when people say something or do something, it's usually because not because they didn't know it was wrong, but they're like, I'm going to do it anyway. Right? Yeah, right. There's some kind of. You know, sometimes there's challenges about relating to others who you don't know, but we don't, these, you know, if you're sending someone to a training for four hours, you know, and saying now do a role play where, you know, there's been sexual harassment. Well, A, it's a role play and B, yes. it's, you, you know. You saw my eye roll yeah, as exactly. you were saying that, right? Like, <laughs> right. please, do we have to do that in our training? Right. It's, it's, I mean, emphasis on play, right? So how can people really draw from that and use it? Because they're like, that wouldn't happen. Or if it would, it's not necessarily happening. And I need more relatable things to, yeah. to use. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You actually have a paper that came out last year, I think, mm-hmm. on current research and the research that exists in diversity up to this point, And then a future agenda for where we should go. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that and where you see this research going. Yeah. So it... What we did was look at the 
evolution of diversity research over the last hundred years. Fascinating. Did it, it exist a hundred years ago? Yes. So here's what's interesting though. It wasn't called diversity, right? right? And it was about like cranial size differences across races. So something, it was it's something, it was something. We didn't see the term diversity until the nineties. Wow. So it's a fairly nascent research yeah. area. But in looking at that evolution, there's been some key things about like, how do we measure diversity? What are some of the effects? What are, what's the context? Mm -hmm. And we think, you know, we speculate or kind of propose that we need to push the boundaries in those areas. And so for example, you know, when we think about diversity, a lot of it is driven by a EEOC definition, Absolutely. race, gender, physical, or, or some kind of ability, religion, religion yep. sexual orientation, yep. you know, veteran status, et cetera. But, you know, there's some really fascinating research about different types of diversity. So diversity could be anything. For example, there was a study done in rock bands to see what was diversity in rock bands. That was so cool. Right? And it was based on, you know, you're like, oh, maybe it was like, what instrument you play, or right. are you a vocalist versus an instrumentalist? Drummers tend to be these people, yeah. and bass players tend to be. Yeah, okay. But it was like, you know, there was a tenure thing. Like how how long you've been in bands, huh. how many bands, the the type of rock. Okay. But then there was also things about addictions. Yeah. Had you had a substance addiction, and there were things that actually influence people's motivation and how much how cohesive the band was so interesting so yeah so it goes to show in like any context we've got to understand what are the dimensions that matter yeah and in those you know and it's not going to be something that you see necessarily right so we also need to think more about the effects and you know we usually do like our people satisfied or committed at work or look at performance are they performing yeah better? yeah which is important, but we don't have a lot on the individual. Hmm. For example, health effects. Oh, yeah. You know, thinking about does it, dealing with, you know, in some diversity context can be stressful. Absolutely. And so does that affect people's... But we don't want to talk about that, We right? don't want to talk about That's it. Right. right. And we don't want to talk about... We, we really get into the dyadic kind of two-person interrelationship mm -hmm. stuff. And so I think there's... I often go to, again, the stickiness of diversity. We can't often capture it in a survey. And so how do we understand it when it may not be measurable in a way that we think it's me it's been measurable in the past? Yeah, so interesting. So future, what, where do we go with it? Like, w how do we get to those, yeah. those pieces that are really tough to measure? Yeah, so kind of actionable yeah. stuff. I, it, I'm probably, this is probably my ideal, and I'm like, thinking about Xanadu, you know, and, and what would be my diversity Disney world. And it's more about, I, so I think there's a big disconnect between research and what happens in the real world. Yes. And that's not on a, the fault of any one of those on researchers or practitioners, but we just don't have we those don't conversations. Yeah. Right. And we don't, collaboratively plan or engage in the work. That's right. So I did this one study about um, years ago, about 10 years ago, to understand the difference between diversity and inclusion. Hmm. 
and a very well-known chief diversity officer from like a Fortune 100 company, my phone rings, and when I answer it, the person says, you don't get it, do you? Oh, no. And I was like, hello? (laughs) Yes. But the person's point was that this is not what happens in organizations. Mm. So I said, let's just go with your proposition. Help me investigate that. Help me test that, right? Give me some data. Help me, give me a context where I can collect data. That will help you. To do something that is going to more reflect what the real world does. Right. And then, you know, we had some debates and some negotiation, <laughs> et cetera. I'm but, sure it was a very pleasant conversation. Yes. <laughs> but that's what we need, right? And yep. I understand that organizations may feel they're concerned about vulnerability, yes. right? Someone being able to identify their organization yep. or painting a picture that's not completely rosy. Right. And for researchers, it's challenging thinking about the time and the effort involved in maybe doing a large-scale organizational study or something more qualitative. Right. But we've got to take the time and have those conversations and be able to design something. And then it may be creating a forum for us to have those conversations, yes. right, where we can just sit down and talk because sometimes we're not often using the same language. That's right. Yeah, I think these are action steps that can apply to almost every aspect of research in organizations, right? Not just diversity. Yeah. Because so much of the research that we see, it doesn't get applied in the organizations because they they don't see the easy action steps where they say, not my organization. Right. Or I don't want to know if that's my organization. Yeah. Or if, if I'm being reflective on the the academy, mm-hmm. right? We were talking about this earlier, yep. but talking about Twitter, for example, it's not saying that our studies can necessarily completely be drilled down into 140 characters. Right. But there's some learning that can go on in how to communicate Absolutely. with the world. And so me talking to you about my research, I can say, well, we found it a very interesting hegemonic phenomenon in which the construct revealed. And now and we've lost like, our listeners. Right, exactly. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. That's right. But talking about, like, just getting right to the point yep. about what the findings show or what it yep. means for the world, that's where the magic happens. And to the point you made earlier about Twitter, it also helps you level set how is this going to be used? Who's engaging with this? Mm-hmm. And are they taking my idea and running with it? And I'm seeing new ideas that I can use. Right. Or is it falling flat? And maybe it's in delivery. So mm-hmm. I need to change the delivery of mm-hmm. it. Or maybe it's this isn't something that's relatable to the organization. Right. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot that of good that can come from those types of communication. Yeah. In in that Twitter world. Well, And, and if I can just add one more thing, yeah. thinking about the pace of the world and the pace yeah. of business you know if we're doing the the doesn't, pa- doesn't fit with the pace right. of research exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. so how do we you know i may be studying something you know have a research project but that may have been a hot topic 
two, three years ago. Right. So how do we have these conversations about things that are happening in the now? Now, that's right. Yeah. But to that point, your findings from your research study still going to apply, likely, oh in yeah. organizations now, even though it was a hot topic three years ago. And so it's also helping organizations understand that just because it's not a buzzword today, yeah. it still can make meaningful change and it can create some avenues for new opportunity yeah. in your organization if you can apply the research because we learned more about it yeah. and how to how to use it or what to do. So interestingly, the study that you mentioned where I found the increase in diversity and decrease in financial performance, there is a very well-known consulting firm who did that same study a year or two ago, and you hmm, would have thought that, that it's they, like brand new information. They invented bread or <laughs> the wheel or something. And I'm like, I did this 10 years ago. Yeah. But... No one's reading right. the scholarly journals. I needed to find a way. You know, it had been great if 10 years ago yep. I had put it in a form where it would be, you know, approachable and accessible by more people. Yeah, and that that is true of a lot of research yeah. that's happening in universities today. We have to find ways to make it digestible and quickly usable, mm -hmm. and we're not good at that, I yeah. think. But it's we'll get there. Yeah, professional development. Yeah. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much Thank for sitting you. with me. And I am hopeful that we're going to find new avenues to collaborate in the future. Oh, we will. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Meeting with Quinetta was such a joy for me. She is brilliant and she exudes excitement for the research that she is doing, which is so important. And I think one of the big takeaways from my time with her is not only the impact of diversity efforts and training in organizations, but the fundamental need for more collaborative efforts between academics and practitioners. So, if you're an HR leader or a business leader listening to this podcast, I'm going to challenge you to think about how you can engage your organization to become more involved in academic research. And if you're an academic, I'm going to challenge you to think about how you can be better about making your research findings more widely available and easily digestible for business leaders to apply. All right, everyone, this wraps up today's episode of HRT. Next week is part two of this diversity mini-series, and I will sit down with my friend and colleague, Christian Thorogood. Christian is a professor in the Villanova HRD program, and a large part of his research focuses on diversity and inclusion issues related to the LGBTQ population, and that is what we will discuss. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, whatever you are drinking, tea, coffee, or something a little bit stronger, I hope it leads you to new ideas that will help make work better for all of us. Cheers. Thank you for listening to HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode steep, share with us what you're brewing using the hashtag HRT. That's hashtag H-R-T-E-A. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at villanovahrd.com. <laughs>